So how are you doing at your Christmas gift? Your list for Christmas gifts for next year. Yeah, I, I did just say next year. How are you doing for your gifts for next year? How, how are you doing for making that list for that special someone for, for next year? Now, why am I skipping over this year? Well, I'm skipping over this year because I've got a gift idea for you, but, but I don't think it's going to work out for this year. It might be a little too late for this year. It is a gift, though, that given to the right person really does say, I love you. Benjamin from Nevada said this, I wish that I had this years ago. Alexandra from Indiana says it was an instant family favorite, and her kids love it. So what kind of gift am I talking about? Well, let me see if I can give you a little bit of setup. Have you ever had a moment where you thought you were going to lose your church membership from untangling Christmas tree lights? Ever had that moment? You ever had that moment where, where you got all the Christmas tree lights together, you plugged them all in, and you spent like two hours wrapping it around the tree, and then when you're done, you plug them in, and you sit there, and like four seconds later, the strand in the very middle goes out? Yeah. Well, if you've ever had moments like that, then what you need is a tree dazzler. Yes, the tree dazzler is a real thing. The tree dazzler is, is a Christmas tree light show. You, you just put the, the patented ring on top of your Christmas tree and the, and the lights just easily drape down over the tree and, and you'll have Christmas magic in a moment. It's the way to turn your Christmas tree from ordinary to extraordinary. Yes, I have always wanted to do infomercials in case you were wondering. The tree dazzler is a real thing, and undoubtedly it seems to be real easy. So if you want to love somebody who sets your Christmas tree lights up, go buy them a tree dazzler for next year. I don't know if I get any royalties for that, but that would be kind of cool. You know, this is a time of year, though, where there's a lot of dazzling things, right? I mean, we pretty much can't ride down any street without seeing some dazzling lights or, or walk through a shopping center and not hear some dazzling music or, or come to a church service and, and see beautiful decorations and hear beautiful music. It is a dazzling time of the year. But this is also that time of year that it's not just dazzling lights that we can get tangled up in. See, there's something else that we can get tangled up in this time of year that, that really on the surface is very good. It's noble. It's, it's nice. It's a great thing. But with just a little bit of a shift, it can turn into something that is very dangerous. It's the kind of thing that will approach your mind and your heart and your attitude very casually. No hassle, kind of like the tree dazzler. Just, just kind of ease in and, and makes life easier. But before you know it, this one thing has got you tangled up. And, and it has become a family favorite. And your kids love it. So what is this gift? Well, Jesus is going to help us find out. Listen to Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Jesus is in the middle of delivering a powerful sermon to a huge crowd of thousands of people. He's preaching this powerful sermon about God's sovereign authority, how he works through the Holy Spirit, how one who follows Jesus, one who loves God, should have great confidence, great trust in who God is. In the middle of that sermon, some guy interrupts him and says, Hey, Jesus, can you help me with my dad's will? In other words, he wasn't paying attention to a word that Jesus said. Now, of course, this is one of the most encouraging verses in all of the Bible for a pastor. 
Because if they didn't listen to Jesus preach, then by all means, you know every now and then, they're going to check out on a scrub like me. So the reality is, is this guy was not listening to Jesus. He was thinking of something else. But why did he check out? I mean, even if you weren't a follower of God, I mean, Jesus was kind of a celebrity in this time. So, so here's this man, this famous man, who's doing these incredible miracles. He's teaching with power and authority that no one can really figure out. And here's this guy, maybe his one chance to be around Jesus. And he takes that one chance and he ignores what Jesus is saying. He interrupts Jesus because he had something else on his mind. And what else did he have on his mind? Well, he had money on his mind. Or maybe not money, maybe stocks or bonds or, or land or, or CDs or a you know, brand new sport camel or you know, some kind of a sword collection you know, that his father had. He, he had material things on his mind. He was ignoring the truth of the gospel because he was thinking of worldly possessions. Now, you may say, I don't know, what's the big deal? I mean, this is just a guy who, who wants his fair share of, of what his dad left him. Why is, why is that so wrong? Well, that's not exactly what's happening here. You see, in ancient times, there was a certain way that a father's inheritance was divided up. And so in this case, we have two brothers, a younger brother and an older brother. And so the father's inheritance, according to law and custom, would have been divided three ways. And so two parts would go to the older brother, and one part would go to the younger brother. And so we don't have to be Sherlock Holmes under a tree dazzler to, to understand that it's the younger brother who's interrupting the sermon here. It's the younger brother who doesn't like how things were divided up. It's the younger brother who wants more. And how do we know that? Well, look at Jesus' response, verse 14 and 15. But he said to him, man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? And then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So how do we know this is the younger brother and not the older brother? Well, the older brother is not going to ask Jesus to divide anything up. <laughs> he's already got more than the younger brother. So if he asks anything, he's going to say, hey, Jesus, can you help me get what my little brother has. I want some more of what he has. But he's, he's not going to ask him to divide up. So we know it's not the older brother. And we know that the younger brother is being greedy because he's ignoring Jesus. He's ignoring what Jesus is saying to interrupt him so that he can find a way to get more of his dad's stuff. And so that's the scene. And Jesus turns to him and says, <laughs> see you boys later. I am not participating in this. He was not going to engage in this argument. He was not going to be the judge. Now, at first glance, this seems like a strange response that Jesus would give. Simon Peter was called to the house of a man named Cornelius. Cornelius was a centurion in the Roman army. He had a lot of soldiers that were underneath him. And Cornelius had been drawn to the gospel. God was drawing him to the gospel. And so God sent Peter to Cornelius' house to tell Cornelius and his family and his friends about Jesus. And on that day, this is just one thing that Peter said when he was talking to them that day. He said this, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living 
and the dead. Judge of the living and the dead. I mean, that kind of sounds like a big deal to me. See, all of the New Testament points to Jesus as the ultimate judge. So why would the ultimate judge be telling these two guys, or at least this one guy, I'm not going to be a judge over the problem with your brother? Why would Jesus back out of this situation? Well, he's not saying this, first of all, because he doesn't care about the problems and the difficulties and the grief that's connected when a parent dies. He's not being uncaring. He's not saying he doesn't care about what's going on. So why do you tell him no? Well, Jesus could be the judge, right? <laughs> he's the judge of the living and the dead. You think that he could be the judge over a couple of brothers and their inheritance. But he says no to them. And why does he say no? Well, we have this picture basically, again, by what Jesus says. His words give us the answer. Because the next thing he said was what? Something about greed. He immediately gives a warning about greed. And so according to the words of Jesus, this guy comes up to Jesus and he says, Look, I want you to help me feed my greed. I want you to help me get more. And Jesus says, no, because he's not going to feed his greed. He's not going to be a part of something that would possibly cause division and conflict with his brother. Jesus declines. He's not going to help this man be greedy. But there's another reason, if we look at the character of the life and the ministry of Jesus, of why Jesus would say no here. We see this really all the way back when he was 12 years old in the temple. Joseph and Mary couldn't find Jesus. When they finally caught up with him, he was down at the church and what did Jesus say to him? Did you not think about coming to find me in my father's house? In other words, Jesus was always focused on his mission. He did not forget why he was here. He was here for the glory and the fame of God. It was why he came. And nothing was going to interrupt him or distract him from his mission to glorify God the Father by seeking and saving the lost. Jesus was not going to get off track. Jesus helped people, Jesus healed people, Jesus saved people. But Jesus did not help everybody, Jesus did not heal everybody, Jesus did not save everybody. There were times that Jesus walked away. There were times that Jesus refused to help. This is one of those times, and he said, no. He said he would not participate. Just a little bit of a life lesson for us when it comes to our Christian life and life in the church. You know, there's times that it's okay to say no. You know, we, we want to be faithful servants of the Lord. We want be, to be faithful serving other people, but we cannot do everything. And in fact, we need to be really careful about even doing things that don't draw people to the gospel, things that are not geared toward the gospel. So just because it's always been done that way does not mean we should keep doing it that way. And just because there's this fantastic new cool idea doesn't mean that we should start doing it. In fact, we can't do this perfectly, but what we should always do is to use the exact same filter that Jesus uses. We should look at everything in our Christian life and in our life in the church and say, is this my Father's business? Is this something that draws attention to God? 
Is this something that would help people get near to God? Is this a a good use of the time that God has given me? Is this a good use of the resources that God has given me? That, That filter will change everything. And that filter in this moment is what Jesus uses. He is not going to film an episode of the people's court with these two brothers. He is walking away. He's not participating. But that doesn't mean that he didn't have anything to say about it. Look again at what he says in verse 15. Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. So this one guy comes up. He asks Jesus, Hey, can you help me with this? Jesus says, no. And then he turns to the crowd, not just to this one guy. He turns to the crowd, and he says, you need to beware of every form of greed. You need to look out and watch out and be on your guard. You need to fight against every kind of greed that comes your way. The word greed here is also the word covet. It means to to sinfully desire something. It means that you don't just casually want more, but you actually greedily want more. See, greed is that thing that tangles us up at Christmas. And it doesn't just tangle us up at Christmas, right? It can tangle us up any time of the year. You may say, well, what's the big deal? I mean, what's wrong with working hard to to get more in life? What's wrong with, with having a, a new house? What's, what's wrong with having a bigger TV? What's wrong with, with having a, a second house or a second Ferrari? I mean, what's the big deal? Come on. What's wrong with, with building a, a garage, you know, just for my shoes? What's wrong with that, you know? What's wrong with buying a refrigerator and just stocking it with Yoo-Hoo? Come on, what, what's, what's really wrong with that? Well, let's be clear. The Bible does not in any way say that money is evil. In fact, this is how the Bible talks about money and worldly possessions. Paul told Timothy this, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. It's the love of money that tangles us up. It's the the love of money that causes problems. Or or we could say the the lust for money or the lust for worldly possessions. A, A lust for the newest and best toys. A lust for the newest and best tools. A lust for the newest and best clothes. A lust for the newest and best gadgets. It's the lust that causes problems. So how do you know? How do you know if you're lusting or liking? How do you know if you've crossed over that line and you've become greedy and coveting? Well, I've pulled together some questions from from a few pastors just to kind of help us Think just to kind of stir our minds toward evaluating what our greed grade might be. Stephen Cole says this, Do I enjoy material things more than I enjoy God? How do I respond when I lose material things? What would I do if I suddenly came into a fortune? Lee Duncan writes this, Are you content with your current condition? Do you think you're in the best condition you can be in? Do you rejoice in the prosperity of your neighbor? Or do you resent or envy the prosperity of your neighbor? Look, I'll go ahead and confess right now. My neighbor just put up a new mailbox, and man, I envy it. I mean, it's fantastic. I texted him as soon as I drove away the other morning. I said, man, your mailbox looks incredible. 
We, we all have those moments, right? But what's the pattern? What's, what's the pattern of your Do you rejoice for your neighbor and their prosperity? Lig goes on to say this, are you generous? And does it show in the way that you give to the kingdom of God? And is there any possession that has an excessive hold on you? Is there anything you own that, that just demands too much of your time and your energy? But maybe the best question and the hardest question comes from Derek Thomas. He says this, what do you think about when you're not thinking about anything else? Now, chew on that one for a while. <laughs> I think if we can really get an answer to that question, we'll find out a lot about our greed grade. What do you think about when you're not really thinking about anything else? Again, you might say, all right, so greed's bad. I mean, most people would probably say that, okay, so, but it's not that bad. I mean, we just, we just need to be less greedy, right? Isn't that enough? Just, just trying to be a little less greedy, just, just not buying as many Christmas presents as we did last year, just, just always doing a little bit less. Isn't that enough? This is what Paul told his friends at the Colossian church, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. So Paul says that greed is idolatry. So, so what is idolatry? Well, idolatry is when you're worshiping something or someone other than exclusively worshiping the one true God, the Holy One of Israel. Now, that may sound a little odd to you, but I mean, just think through this. I mean, I imagine nobody's going to come in here on, on Christmas Eve expecting us to, to sing this carol. The first MacBook that I did buy helped me start my business and a super cool website. MacBook, 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 I love the way that you make me look. Now, if you come in and sing that on Christmas Eve, we'll be nice, but we'll probably tell you to stop, you know? See, see we, we don't sing carols like that. We, we wouldn't think of singing and worshiping our computer. But if we will really look at our lives, if we're honest with ourselves, we can see that, that our computer and our car and our hobbies and our charities and our houses and our yards and our vacations and our jobs and our favorite sports team and our love of sleep. I mean, you put anything you want to in there. Those things can casually lead us to idolatry. They can casually draw us away from worshiping God, even if for just a moment. You know, if you really want to think through and, and look at the greed grade in your life, if you want to kind of evaluate, am I really being idolatrous? One of the best ways to do that is to look at the relationships in your life. Look at the, the people that you do life with on a regular basis. What are your relationships like? Are you a good spouse? What kind of spouse are you? What, what kind of parent are you? What kind of child are you? What, what kind of a friend are you? What kind of employee are you? What kind of church member are you? What are your relationships like? What would people say about you? Because that's a pretty good gear. Because see, what greed and idolatry does is it drives you away from people. And it drives you to worship the things and worship the stuff. I was reading this week about lottery winners in the UK over the years. 
And it's amazing how story after story, I think I read like eight different stories, and, and every single story talks about how these people that won these millions of dollars within 10, 15 years sometimes were, were dead from alcohol or, or from drugs. But the one thing that was consistent with all of them is they were lonely. They got lonely really fast. They got reclusive really fast. Their relationships disappeared even though they had a lot. Greed will increase your focus on material, earthly, worldly possessions, and it will decrease your love and your service to other people. So relationships are a pretty good sign. But you might still be saying, nah, that's not me. I, I'm not idol idolatrous. I, I don't have that kind of greed in my life. I go to church. I, I give some money to the church. I'm pretty nice to my family. I mean, I don't, I don't have a, a statue of, you know, some pudgy Asian guy sitting crisscross applesauce in my house. You know, I, I don't have that stuff there. I, I don't sing carols about my computer. You know, so you're thinking, I, I'm, I'm good. I, I don't think this applies to me. All right, let's see if we can hit it from another angle. Listen again to what Paul says to Timothy. He writes this, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. All right, so let's think of it this way. Are you good at managing money? Maybe you are. Maybe you're somebody who's really good at managing money. But are you also oppressive and mean to the people who are underneath your money management? If so, that could be idolatry. In other words, your management principles have become more important than people. You're actually worshiping principles in such a way that you've become possessive and less generous. That's possible. But what about the, the flip side? What if you're bad with money? And what if you're really bad with money? And what, and what if you're really not good at keeping up with your financial responsibilities? You know what? That could be idolatry, you know? It could literally be something that is, is greedy and actually worshiping even bad principles. See, you could be so, you know, fly by the seat of your pants, so go with the flow, that those principles of doing life actually make you more impulsive and actually make people less likely to trust you. Either one of those could be a form of idolatry. Let me give one that kind of makes me look bad, at least in my mind it does. Our faithful and wonderful and fantastic staff will tell you that uh, I'm pretty ruthless with color copies. It just happens. I know. I knew I'd get an amen on that one. I mean, I, I literally, the, the way I manage the color copy budget, you'd think we're printing in, in 24 karat gold. I mean, 10 cents a copy. Man, I'm telling you, though, I, I'll lose my mind over that stuff. Now, the reality is I still like being really frugal with a lot of money in the church, but, but I also need to be very careful that I'm not worshiping those extra dimes. I need to be careful because that can be idolatry. All right, how about the flip side of that? Let's imagine that I'm in a burger joint one night, and I'm, I'm the last person. Ten-cent color copies, and I'm going the other end of the spectrum. So I'm the last person in the store, and, and I just noticed back by the grill, there's this silver pan with lots of cooked bacon. And so I think to myself, hey, I'm just going to go ask the manager, hey, how much, how much will you charge me if you give me the rest of that bacon? And I go over and I ask him, and he says, 10 bucks. And I don't hesitate. 
I mean, right? Ten cents for a color copy, I'll lose my mind. Ten dollars for some bacon? Nah, man, I don't even think twice about it. Now, I'm not saying that happened, and I'm not saying that didn't happen. I'm not saying anything because the manager told me not to say anything. But um, (laughs) what I am saying, though, is that we have to be careful on both sides. Because, see, in in that scenario, I could be worshiping food in such a way it might lead me to be unwise with money. So the picture we have here, and the reason I'm confessing all of this Dow foolery to you is, is for this reason. See, every single one of us at any given moment can fall into the trap of idolatry and greed. Any of us at any moment can, can fall into this trap where even just for a moment the, the money or the material thing becomes so much more valuable to us that, that we don't think straight and, and we begin to move ever, ever so slightly in a direction that's dangerous. We can all get called on, on that greedy train heading toward an audition to the American idolatry show. All of us, all of us can find ourselves there, which is exactly why Jesus doesn't just turn around and talk to the one guy. He turns and and talks to the whole crowd. He says, look, y'all all need to be careful. You all need to look out. You all need to watch out for greed because it will come after you. And why is it so important? Well, listen to the rest of what Paul says to Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So Jesus warns against greed, and Paul warns against greed because it can lead you into all kinds of trouble. But then that last part, it can even lead you away from Jesus. I mean, that sounds kind of theologically wrong, right? But the picture's pretty strong here. You will begin to worship things instead of Jesus. You will begin to see things as greater treasures than Jesus if you love those things. Be careful of greed. And why would we not want to wander away from Jesus? Because he is the most valuable thing in the universe. Salvation in Jesus is the most valuable thing in the universe. It is not at the car lot. It is not at the mall. It is not anywhere you can go in the world where you can go buy something with money. The most valuable thing in the universe is knowing and being known by Jesus Christ in salvation. That is the gift of all gifts. And that's exactly why Jesus says what he says next. Listen to verse 15, that last part. For not even one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Life is not stuff. Life is not about stuff. Even if you have a lot of stuff, life is not about stuff. Forbes magazine once, I think maybe about 10 years ago now, estimated what Andrew Carnegie's net worth would be in today's money, and it was more than $300 billion. But this is what Carnegie once said. Wealth lessens rather than increases human happiness. Millionaires who laugh are rare. Now, you might be thinking, hey, laughing is overrated. Just give me the money, you know. But don't miss the intensity of what Jesus is communicating to this one guy. He's he's trying to help him see, look, you are standing before me 
with this desire for more of your father's stuff. And can I just insert here, all of us will face this. All of us face the difficulty of losing a parent. And can I just ask you right now, start praying that you will handle that with grace. Start praying that when your parents age, that you will handle it not with fear, not with worry, not with anger, not with frustration, not with fighting with your brothers and sisters, but that you by yourself would start praying today, God, would you give me grace for those days ahead? We need to be wise mourners and wise grievers. You see nothing of that in this man, just the desire for more of the stuff. And so Jesus intensely is trying to draw him away because basically what Jesus is saying is this, if you get more, it won't be enough. You'll want more. You won't be satisfied with just that. You'll, You'll want more. Look, I know it sounds silly, but driving home that night with that brown paper bag of bacon was fantastic. I'm telling you, it was amazing. But you know what? When I got home, (laughs) I wanted more. It was amazing. I had a whole bag of bacon. By the time I got home, I was still hungry. I was like, man, I wish I had another bag of bacon. See, the truth of the matter is we don't want to admit it, but the reality is we get in that moment and we, can I just have this? Can I have, Jesus knows how our hearts work. And so he tells him, look, you're you're not going to be satisfied. You're going to want more. I read something this week about a speaker who got up to speak, and and at the beginning of his speech, he took his gold watch off, and he held his gold watch up, and he said, on his deathbed, my father sold me this watch. (laughs) Don't try to make a buck on your deathbed, all right? Don't be greedy. Be generous. Don't covet. Be content. The picture we have from Jesus is really helpful for us this month. Don't let the material things and the material gifts of Christmas get you tangled up. Don't let the material things of Christmas steal your peace away from you. And hey, let me just admit, you know one place that your peace can be stolen from you? the church schedule in December. (laughs) You can lose your peace trying to keep up with all the stuff. So so don't let anything steal your peace in the gospel. Don't let anything steal your peace in your salvation. Fight hard against any kind of greed, any form of greed, whether it's money or time, because those things will tangle you up and, and they will steal your peace. And guess what? They don't just steal your peace at Christmas. They're still there to steal your peace in January. 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah said this about him. For a child will be born to us. There will be no end to the increase of his peace. If you want to be greedy about something this Christmas, if, if you want to covet something, then be greedy for the peace of Christ. Covet the peace of Christ. Beg and plead that that God would give you more of the satisfying riches of the peace of Christ. Because the peace of Christ, and only the peace of Christ, no other peace, only the peace of Christ has no end. No end.